Yes, I am actually. Oh, thank God! I've been I've been drowning over here. The, the everything the the switchboard's not working. The guest hasn't shown up yet. What what is it, what is a blazing ride to do? <laughs> Improvise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, or you know, you, you could always go to sleep too. <laughs> okay, so this is this is one of the, the the main reasons I wanted to have you on. I want you to tell our listeners every <laughs> single detail about what happened with Mr. Samuel Jackson last night. All right, so check this out. What happened was <laughs> I'm trying to mob down the street to get to my show uh, that I work on. Uh, on 45th, a little show with uh, some dude named Dan. People keep calling him Harry, whatever. And <laughs> we're on the uh-huh. corner. I, For some reason, I bypass 45th, and I end up on 44th. And I'm t- trying to turn around, and then I see, like, this little commotion going on, and I recognize this black gentleman in a Kango hat, and he's trying to light a cigarette. And there's some other people around him. And then I see his teeth and the gap, and I was like, oh, my God, that's Samuel Jackson. And this man, this mean man behind him is, like, trying to have him sign something. And when I say mean, because we're all fangirls at some particular point, you know, play those sign, that's cool. But this yeah. man, I don't know what his deal was. He's, he's like, sign this, sign this, sign this. And Samuel has not lit his cigarette yet. Finally, <laughs> he turns around to this man, and I know this is Internet radio, what have you. Can I use the language that he used? The fact that it is internet radio means you can say anything. All right. Samuel turns around, and he's like, man, fuck away from me. And I'm standing right there by that little, <laughs> like, flower shop thing, whatever, because I'm trying to turn around because I've bypassed 45th, my street that I wanted to go to. And he says it, and I'm trying to get past the crowd that is now gathered, and I get on my tippy toes, I'm like, hey, go the fuck to sleep. What's wrong with you? You know, and Samuel turns around and looks at me, smiles. So I mean, it was, it. You know, I don't get starstruck too often, but that was funny because we all started laughing. The crowd dispersed. The man went away, and everybody just mobbed to their theater because you know we got a sign in time. So right, it was funny because it, it just. I don't think he was. I know I wasn't expecting to say that, but it was perfect to say that because this man who wanted his stuff signed was being overtly aggressive about it. Plus, I don't know if he had actually seen the show, and I don't know if it was actual play, though. He just saw Samuel with the Kango cigarette, probably saw the Jackie Brown or something, and just wanted his stuff signed. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, You know, like I said, what had happened was, and it happened so fast, and I was, like, running back to 45th to hit that left so I could learn right. how to succeed, and I was like, okay, and I walk in, there and they're like, you okay? What's going on? I was like, never mind. That's too long to tell you. So, <laughs> but that's well, what Tamika, happened. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I, be- I believe we have our guest now. Um, cool. But uh, let me make sure we do. Let me just make sure. Uh, man, this switchboard is going so slow tonight. Okay, Jeremy, is that you? Okay. That is me, and I am terribly, terribly sorry, Ryan. Oh, no worries. No worries. Um, I, I, am, okay. I am I am here and I am all yours. I was uh, uh, I, I was detained. I have my in-laws in from New Zealand, and uh, they're they're all and there are a bunch of Kiwis invading my house as I speak. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I right. hold myself up in my daughter's room, and uh, I am all yours. So I apologize once again. But hi. <laughs> no apologies.
apologies necessary. So, so you're in your daughter's room. Are are there posters of Justin Bieber up, or is it a different kind of room? <laughs> don't, don't you know it? Actually, as, as, as I look around the room, there's Bieber. There's I'm still, you know, she she's gotten a little lazy. I got to say, because there's a whole lot of Jonas Brothers still up, you know, and that's kind of oh, that's no. so 2007. So. Um, but there's a lot of still a lot of Joe Bro, even uh, even a little uh, even a little high school musical action, you know. So you know, I don't I don't know how long I don't know what the what how long these things are allowed to stay up because you know she is in high school now, so I'm not sure how cool it is to keep them up. But apparently she thinks it's okay. So uh, <laughs> well, she's, she, I mean, she's listening right now. She'd be I, I'm bad mouthing bad mouthing my own daughter. It's terrible. On the air, even, but that's okay. Hello, hello, hello. Terrible, terrible. She's gonna get me later. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, so uh, Tamika, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, you wanna, you wanna hang around, and and we'll, I'll just, we'll, we'll talk back and forth, and and you think of some questions for for well, Jeremy. You, you know wanna what? do that, I, or you gotta go? I, I gotta go because I just got some uh, chicken wings and pork fried rice. So. <laughs> oh my lord. What a random combination. Hey, it's cheap Chinese food. What can I say? It's New York City. Sounds so I've heard you. All right. Thank I'm you hard. so much. I'll oh. talk to you later. All right. Thank you for uh, the story. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> uh, all right. And I did, I did not give you your, your proper introduction. Let's see if the board's working now. We're now joined by Jeremy Schoenfeld. Uh, what is, what's the applause playing? Oh, boy. <laughs> It's been playing in like bits and pieces tonight. Everything that could possibly like go wrong with this episode has oh, no. until now, and now we're gonna fix it all. So, okay, perfect. Just imagine that a, a huge, loud crowd just applauded wildly for you, um, which is weird because they're all here watching me talking to you. I don't know why they're not at your house. <laughs> well, that's okay. I'll, I'll, I, I'm imagining it. I'm feeling all of the uh, the, the wonderful. Uh, the, you know, the the passion of all the people in the room. You're feeling the love? Okay, so Jeremy, for, for our listeners who are unfamiliar, what does the title of, of your latest uh, effort, Iron and Coal, symbolize for you? Well, Iron and Coal is a very, um, it's a pretty heavy album for me. Um, uh, Iron, the specific title, Iron and Coal, refers to two things. Um, uh, my grandfather, uh, who was... Uh, uh, was all, a survivor of the Holocaust, as was my father, um, and uh, was very actually very responsible for not only my father's uh, living through the whole experience, but many other people as well. Um, he used to say uh, that with his will, he could break iron. And wow. um, and, the, and the coal uh, in the title refers to um, sort of, it's like almost the flip side. It's that you know, the, the strength, the will to survive, but at the same time, the charred souls um, uh, that, you know, with, uh, that I witnessed personally with, with other survivors, my grandfather, my grandmother, my father, just there's a, there, there's a sort of a death of the soul to a certain extent um, when, you, when you survive something as, uh, you know, as horrible as that. So I kind of tried to, it's sort of almost like a juxtaposition between the iron and the coal in a way. Um, and other people have said that the coal is also, you know, it's sort of a compressed energy and that it can burn brightly again. And I suppose that if you want to dig deeper into it, you know, there's something to that as well because, you know, you, you be out of the ashes and all that stuff. But um, but for me, it was really more about the strength of the character, but yet the sort of the death of the soul in a, sense, in a way. I see. And and this, this, that sounds like pretty 
heavy material was did you have to be in a certain mood when you were you were recording it doesn't sound it sounds it doesn't exactly sound like a festive holiday album no no i mean unfortunately um you know uh, and uh, talking about the album i know it, it, it will we'll probably have to go heavy on it it's um iron cole is a very very deeply personal album and it's very it is a very heavy album. It's um, it has. I mean, it it doesn't just. It's not just depressing and horrible. And you listen to it, and you want to slit your wrist. It's not that at all. It's really. It's a song cycle, you know, a very emotional song cycle, dealing with the shadows of Auschwitz over um, a survivor, um, and and his son, essentially. And there's sort of a parallel between the two because there's such a thing as the. Um, uh, Holocaust children's uh, syndrome, which is we share certain anxieties, certain depressions, certain things that we fear um, based on being kids of, of the survivors and, you know, always looking over your shoulder for things, you know, everything could, that could possibly go wrong, will, I'm never feeling settled, that everything can be taken away from you. Those are, those are some of the things that, you know, the free-floating anxieties that, uh, that survivors have and survivors' kids have. Um, so in, in a way, what I try to do is express um, some of the, uh, you know, a, a, that emotional journey um, in a way that uh, that fits both the father and the son, and, and um, specifically with a father who survived the war um, to the birth of his son, all the way through to the birth of his son, and then the son's journey starting with the death of his father, and then trying to come out from underneath the shadows of those expectations and those burdens uh, now that his father has passed. So at the end, it's, it's it's very uplifting, but it takes you through a, a quite a, a roller coaster ride of emotional material between the beginning and that uh, fruition. Well, it sounds like it's it's quite a journey that you went on emotionally recording yeah. uh, the album, um, yes. and uh, it, I know that you you recorded it in Austria. Um, Correct. Does it, everybody there look like Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> you know. It's funny. I went over there the first time I went to uh, to, to Vienna, where I recorded the the, the album. Um, I went there the August before I recorded, and the album was really recorded January of this year through to April. Um, and uh, I went there in August last year to visit. Um, I actually went to Auschwitz, um, and I spent about ten days with my partners, who I had one of them. There are two guys, Martin and Werner. Uh, uh, who've been working together for 25 years, and their partnership uh, is called Beat for Feet. They used to do all the Falco stuff, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Amadeus, Amadeus, and all that stuff. Um, they were, they were, and they're they're rock guys and musical theater guys and classical guys. They cover a huge amount of ground uh, musically, which is one of the reasons I wanted to go there. But um, back to your question, the first time I went over there in August, and I, I met these guys. I'm walking around, and I couldn't help but you know. Every every time you turn a corner and you see someone who's, uh, you know, older, you know, you the first thought in your head is, were they there? What did they see? And, and you look at the buildings and you think about the old black and white films and the Nazis walking down the street. And so it was, for the first trip for me was really haunted that way. Um, and then, you know, yeah. gradually you sort of get used to it and you realize that, you know what, you're working with a bunch of people who readily admit that they have Nazis in their families. They were, they were, their families were part of the military the way it worked, but, you know, you're not dealing with those people. You're dealing with the people who are in front of you, and you just kind of learn to, you know, it, it's sort of a way of the process, a moving on process in a way, so it, it was actually kind of cathartic that way. Yeah, do you, did you get a sense that there's 
a sense of, uh, you know, when I went to Berlin, I got this real sense of, yeah. of just shame and like, you know, I, I feel like a lot of the people there, they they never, they never, uh, from what I saw, from I was only there a couple of days, so this could be different at different times. But they didn't smile during the day. They didn't. They weren't. They didn't say hello. And then, you know, at night they got a couple of drinks with them, and they were the friendliest people. Um, but it does seem like there's. Um, you know, there's this thing of like, how could we have let our people have uh, do this? Uh, did you sense that there? Well, it's you know, it's funny. It's it's there is there is something about the people, and I feel the same way. And I was actually I spent some time in Berlin too, doing some work. We actually started to mix in Berlin, um, and then we ended up finishing the mix uh, in uh, back in Vienna. But um, uh, but I felt the same thing, and I don't know. I don't know when you were there, but did you did you see that on the sidewalks where they had these these things called the the uh, um, the stumbling blocks? Um, no. Where on? Um, well, I, I think that's what they call them. They stumbling block. Basically, what it is is they any place that there was a you know a Jewish family who was taken from the home, what they they you know in front of the building they put these gold square bricks. Um, and as you're walking on the sidewalk, you'll see, you know, six, ten, eleven, and you know, clustered together. And when you look down and you read them, they're there. Um, they're, they gives you the names of the people who were there, the dates they were there, and the date in the camp they were taken to, um, and the year they were slaughtered. And oh, you exactly where. So you're, you know, so in one sense, there's a, it's a constant reminder. You can, you know, you get to, you can enjoy things, but then when you see these things, it's a constant reminder of where you are. Which I think is, I think it's a good thing. I think that you know, I, I agree with you that you know, Vienna was the same as Berlin in that way, where you know, um, where you walk down the street, people are. It's it's not like people are looking at you and smiling and waving and saying, you know, have a nice day. Um, when you work with them and you meet them, they seem to be perfectly nice. But there's a certain guarded quality to people, a certain keeping to themselves kind of a thing. And I notice it's not like an overtly social or friendly, outgoing kind of an atmosphere. Um, right. And uh, it's a little, it, it, can, it's, it can be a little bit uh, spooky, and you know, uh, but uh, uh, but then again, you know, on the flip side of it, um, uh, I worked with some really terrific people who um, who also could definitely hold their alcohol. So you know, the beer is <laughs> never bad there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess not. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, you know, I, I learned this about you that you uh, will often play different characters in your your music. Now, was this um, mm. an influence of, of, of R. Kelly and Trapped in the Closet? Is that where you got that from? Wait, I'm sorry, say the last part again. Of, of what Trapped in the Closet? I couldn't hear that. Um, did you get, did R. Kelly inspire you to, to do this with his Trapped oh, in the Closet uh, hip-hop Did R. Kelly? I, I, I thought he said R. Kelly. I was like, did you say something? I didn't understand you to say R. Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> No, you know, as far as the you know, as far as me and the, and the characters I play in my music, really specifically, um, mm-hmm. I you know I look at I can I, I, I when I do master classes and I talk with younger people, younger writers in particular, I, I I try to describe the sort of storytelling that you know at least for me I I don't think you can you know I don't think you can teach songwriting um, uh, unless you you understand that every writer has their own journey. And every writer has to find their own style and their own way into their songs, into their music, and into their hearts. I think there's certain, you know, there's craft that you can teach and there's craft that you have to just learn um, and experience and uh, develop over time. 
so, you know, nurturing is a great way to describe that. And for me, my craft, I kind of I, I describe it sometimes as, you know, the way that an actor would approach a character or an actor would approach a monologue. Um, you know, you really want to understand everything about the character that you are enveloping. Um, and it's the same for me if it's a song that's a personal song or if it's a story that's told in one song. Or if it's um, if it's an entire show where I'm developing characters that are not me, but I have to get inside their heads um, and mm-hmm. to make that as personal as I possibly can, so that you believe them as real people. I think I, I think actually that's the wonderful challenge about um, about musical theater, or can be the wonderful challenge for those who really, you know, choose to to to. Uh, to dive in deep, I think, is to you know to try to um, really get in the heads and make people feel as emotionally um, connected uh, to these characters um, as they would to uh, you know or to something that you would create for yourself that came right out of your heart. Because I mean, because inevitably, when someone connects to a song or a creation of yours, um, you know they're not doing it. For my reasons, that, you know, if I wrote a song that was really personal to me, and they connect to it, they're not thinking of my story, and they're not thinking of my world and my life. They're connecting to it because it touches something universally that, um, you know, that that meant something to them, right? So um, I think that that's you know, and that's that's a wonderful. That's a, it's always a wonderful challenge that way, and that's that's that puzzle that I think continues to inspire you to write and, and create new things. So, Absolutely. I don't know if that was exactly where you were looking, where you were going with that question. With that question, but you know, I dove right in. So. That is, <laughs> that is exactly the response that I I uh, I had written out every single word you just said already. I, I um, kind of figured you did. I, I work off of a script, so you know. <laughs> now, uh, just to let you know, it, it, it's very very slight, but you are breaking up a little bit. So maybe if you stand uh, a little closer to Nick Jonas. I uh, I apologize. You know, I, I, I did notice that I was having a little bit of an issue there, but uh, if, if you lost me there, if you need me to repeat something, let me know. Um, I'll, I'll say, how's that? Am I, doing, am I doing well now? I can hear you now. Um, okay. Yeah. It's very pleasant. Okay. So okay. Um, now, uh, your uh, look, your your bald head, did you take that look from Daughtry? <laughs> you know, um, I took that look from necessity. <laughs> uh, I was the last guy. You know, there are photos of me. I, I, when I was at, I, I, in the late 80s, early 90s, when I was the rocker dude with the long hair, I was the last dude anyone would have expected to go bald, you know. I had that great, great mane. Um, but uh, what are you going to do? Um, I'm just glad that my my head shape is round. Although I have these lines on the top of my head that someone, my friend Dave, asked me if um, my mom had dropped me on a bread cutter when I was younger. So, but oh, what are you gonna do? <laughs> uh, um, did you ever figure out where the lines came from? I would like to say that they're lifelines, love lines, intelligence lines, whatever, whatever will will you know make me look and sound better. And, and perk up my confidence. No, <laughs> I have no idea. Uh-huh. But I t- I'll tell you this: if I have to use, if I use a straight razor on my head and I have to shave, like on my head, particularly in those spots, it takes me a minute because it's like I ha- they're like crevices. I got to get like you know, I got to like make a special razor so I can get into the little hairs. It's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> well, what I mean, I I started losing my hair really young. What when yeah. when was that? You said no one no one expected you to start. So when when did you start losing? <laughs> 
I'll, you know what? I can tell you exactly the moment that we realized this. Um, and when I say we, I meant because I was with another guy, a guy who I'd done a bunch of work with, uh, at Studio Uptown, uh, Frank Piazza. And Frank and I um, we had just done a session uh, at his studio, and we walked into a coffee shop that is no longer in existence. And for some stupid reason, this coffee shop had these two long mirrors on the, uh, uh, you know, on the corners um, of the ceiling, facing facing down but facing each other so that when you looked in one you would see the back of your head so we, uh-huh. we both walk in and we both look in and we both notice at the same time that you know that uh, crop circle that was forming in the middle of our heads and we we're like holy shit so um, uh, that was exactly the moment I realized it and that was also about the moment that I went blonde for two years so there you go <laughs> yeah because the the hair dye makes your hair look a little thicker, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it's, I was I was blonde and pink. I mean, what are you gonna do? It's still still scalp, but it was also that that was also during during that time when you know Brad Pitt and everybody was trying blonde. So I was like yeah. platinum blonde for two. It was I, I also had a Billy Idol thing. So what are, what are you gonna do? I went Billy Idol for two years. <laughs> <laughs> Probably cost um, me a couple thousand dollars and a bunch of fried hair stems. But, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, uh, the I luckily, I guess, I don't know if it's luckily or not, but lived in Los Angeles when, when I started losing my hair. So I went to the the guy in Beverly Hills that um, I guess that, you know, probably every, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, act, the Hollywood actors and stuff go to. And really? he just immediately put me on the, the Propecia. And I I still take it, but it's uh, there's a class action lawsuit against it because it, it's causing permanent sexual dysfunction in a lot of men. Do, do, do I dare ask? I mean, I I don't know. I, I don't think so. But still, it's you, like, feel, what you, you, feel, you feel pretty functional. I hope so. I do. I do. I do. But what do you? You know, what do you choose there? Do you choose your hair or to remain sexually functional? I, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. You know what? I had to say. I, you know, every man who, who's every man is shaking their head at the same time as they listen to this. I mean, I, I I was facing the same question. I actually had a bottle of Propecia sitting on my medicine cabinet that I bought when I realized this. And um and I, I first I started shaving my head down, and then I realized actually that um um that the ladies didn't seem to mind it for me. So um, right. uh, and certainly my wife. Um, uh, ha- loves, you know, the the bald head. She kind of likes the five o'clock shadow shaved look thing. Um, so, I, you know, I was kind of golden. I was able to, um, uh, uh, and, I, and I think I was facing the same thing. It was like one of those questions of, do I really want to be on hair medication for the rest of my life to uh, to keep this to keep this up? So. I decided that I would yeah. go and just let it go balls, and, and you know, at some point, if they come up with that wonderful Bosley miracle or whatever it is that it will, that I can literally take a pill and all of a sudden I will sprout like chia head type of hair, that will, you know, then I'll then I'll then I'll do that. But otherwise, you know, I, I haven't paid for haircuts in 2001 or two, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah, you save a lot of money that way. Um, <laughs> well, now Jeremy, uh, let's. I this I did not expect to veer off like that. I apologize. Uh, um, that's okay, man. I, I, it's, all, it's all good to me. <laughs> okay, so what was it like uh, performing in the garden, and were the Knicks playing during your performance? <laughs> that's a good question. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. Performing at the garden is um, first of all. I mean, obviously, it's there's a little bit of a humbling, awe-inspiring thing when you walk through there and you see all the. 
you know, you're in the in the backstage and you see all the posters of all the people who have performed there recently because, you know, they can't put all the people up there, so they just put the ones who've, like, been there in the last year or so. And so even that is just amazing. Um, and um, and it's interesting because when you're when – you're, uh, f- for this particular event, the, uh, the, the Maccabee Games thing, um, we were on a stage and the audience felt like they were, you know, in a different – time zone in a way um you know you almost you almost you almost have to really kind of pinch yourself to keep paying attention to the fact that you have thousands of people looking at you because no there's no immediate audience right in front of you um and uh you know and it's very boomy and you know they have all sorts of sound things i've heard i've heard that before that you know sound guys really have uh, it's it's a job to really work there and to do it um but all of that being said um uh it was a it was a wonderful wonderful experience um and um you know and i'm glad that uh i'm glad i did it i'm glad i got to i got to sing i got to perform i got to music direct and um you know it was a re- it was really it was a it was a wonderful moving experience so yeah i can't knock it and no nicks uh, were present in that particular event although there were a bunch of people jumping around on like those pogo stick things that they have for their feet and big ribbons and shit like that it was crazy kind of choreography. So I don't, I don't even know the whole thing that was going on. I was trying to pay attention to my thing, but I saw these people bouncing around. I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. i got to play this chord. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Oh, boy. I'd imagine that could be a bit distracting. Uh, it can be. That's why it's like, you know, I'm, I, it's good thing. It's good thing that they have all those lights that are aimed at your head so that you can barely see in front of your own face. I barely notice the stuff at times, you know. And there was one point where we were doing this whole thing. There's a whole procession that, um, of of the athletes from around the world that come in, and um, we, it, you know, as org- it was really kind of organized chaos in a way. And we had to basically fill with the band. Um, we had to fill like 40 minutes of music, um, just like you know, and try to catch um, when a different city or a different country was, you know coming into the arena and change, you know, the music on a dime uh, without wow. stopping it, you know. So it was a list of tunes, and we basically had kind of just told the bands, like, hey, look, you know, you're, uh, you're just on my signal, it's going to be, uh, you know, one, two, three, go. So it was, it was pretty good. They, they, you know, they, they seemed to catch it pretty well. It was also like, it was all, you know, the lower the volume when they're going to announce it, and then they raise the volume when they don't, but when they're done, so I had to catch when it was Chris Berman from ESPN who was the announcer for sure. that. So we had to catch, you know, every time he was about to speak, I had to watch his mouth because I could barely hear him in that room. And every time he was about to, sp- I was looking at his mouth and I had my hand up like the entire time, and I would lower my hand, and the band would immediately follow me down so that we could hear him, and then raise it up, and then count in another song. It was, I mean, it was cool. It's one of those experiences that's like, you know, you can say you did, and it was, it, it's great. Builds the character and all that stuff. Um, so, uh, I don't, I don't, I, I loved it. Yeah, and the garden is very impressive. That's Chris Berman. That's that's the guy who's. Uh, there's that video of him talking about uh, buying uh, illegal drugs in Canada. Get the do do do's. He's like talking to his uh, producer or something, and it's caught on tape. It's hilarious. I, I, you know, I, 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 I didn't know that. I haven't heard that. I'll have to check that out. He's a funny dude. I mean, you know, he's been he's been an ESPN since you know it was five people watching it. So, you know, he's a he's a big he's a big Jewish dude. That's what he is. He's like 
he's bigger than me, and he's a and he's a really friendly guy, and he knows his sports, and and uh, you know, and apparently he likes a glass of wine now and again, and so mostly now. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be in Austria, does it? No, 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 no. But uh, you know, it doesn't hurt. The wine's not so bad. <laughs> the beer's better though. So, <laughs> um, now, okay, when you're um, let's pretend that you live in a city where you would need to drive a car. Do you have a car? You don't have a car, do you? Uh, so one more time, we broke up a little bit. Uh, what about a car? Oh, I'm great. Uh, do, do you have a, a? Do you have a? You don't have a car, right? Do you own a car? I I haven't owned a car since my 1983 Ford or Honda Civic Brown, 1983 brand. Yeah. No, I haven't had a car since '91. I moved here in '91, and I haven't owned a car. We zip car it. So. Very nice. So imagine that you had a car right now, and you were driving um, down the highway. What uh, what kind of music would you be blasting and rocking out to with the windows down, going 70 down the wow. 95? Wow. That's, you know what? I'll tell you something. It's a good question. Car music, I don't know if you feel the same way, but for me, there is music that you listen to when you are driving that you don't listen to anywhere else. I don't listen to what I'm like at the gym. I certainly don't listen to it at home. It's driving music. And for me, most of the time, that is like classic 70s rock. That'll be like, okay. you know, that's like Zeppelin and ACDC and Leonard Skinner and Bad Company, anything with, you know, Paul Rogers and Queen. And, you know, I want to I want to hit the stuff. I, and, and I'll tell you a quick little story was um, – uh, we went. Um, I went with one of my partners, Werner. We drove to Auschwitz, right? Um, and we spent the night, and we did the whole camp thing. And it was, you know, a huge, heavy, um, meaningful, and important experience. So we did that. The, you know, the buildup was was intense. We get there, we did it, and then we. Um, so we we actually ended up spending a night there. Um, in there's a hotel, believe it or not, like sort of right near the camp. That's the Auschwitz Hotel. So I could, you know, I could tell my dad that he wasn't the only one who spent a night at Auschwitz. But um, bum, but um, horrible, horrible joke. Uh, so um. The next day when we went, it was it was extremely emotional. I lit a candle. I actually have a little video of this that, of me lighting a candle, uh, walking the tracks of you know the uh, where the, the the cattle cars would have come down and you know um, and they would have just you know picked put, put the Jews that were going to survive on one side and the Jews that they were going to kill immediately on the other. Um, so I walked it. I was very emotional. I lit a candle. I, I put it there and then we got in the car and we're driving back. Um, and it's a six-hour drive for four countries. So immediately we're there, and, you know, he puts on the, their stereo, and he has the same stuff. I think we were listening to, like, Massive Attack or something like that. And, and I, it was just – it was moody, and it was the wrong shit. And I, I said, dude, I need some rock, and I need it right now. So immediately he put on ACDC for those about to rock, and we listened to ACDC for about an hour and a half, full blast, driving through the back, back roads of Poland. And <laughs> – I gotta say, it was a pretty perfect scenario. So, um, so there's there's a very there's there's two answers for you. That? <laughs> that is uh, that's quite the story. That uh, makes sense yeah. though that you would need to after you know going through that heavy emotional experience, you would need to rock out. I totally hear you there. Yeah, no, man, it was it was it was actually it was. You know, I've used the word cathartic already, but in a way, an ACDC has never felt and sounded any better than that trip back. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. 
And um, what about you? What's your? What do you think your favorite song to sing live is? Dan? My favorite song to sing live. Ooh, that's a. Uh, you're, you're hitting me with some good tough questions here, my friend. Um, <laughs> uh, it's that's that's a that's a tough one to answer. Um, uh, you mean of my of my songs in particular, or just any song? Any song. Um, any song. Because uh, I. You know, of my songs um, first, I would say, you know, I, I, obviously starting with some of the new songs, I'm actually very excited for 2012 to be able to perform this album um, live because it's a, you know, it's a massive album and it can't, be, it's not a club thing. You can't just put a band together. I mean, we, you know, we need a 24-piece uh, orchestra with rock band and everything, and, and we're wow. going to do it. That's that's going to be, it's it's a very large album, and it's, uh, you know, I'm I'm very proud of it, but. Um, so there are a couple, I, you know, there are a couple of songs that I'm, I'm looking forward to performing that I have not gotten a chance to perform yet from the album. One of the songs is called "Peace of Me." There's another one called "Stop Stop," um, or "Nothing Really Matters." Stop Stop. I did uh, in July. Um, I went back to Vienna after the album was completed, and I did um, the, the, uh, the European Maccabee Games. Um, same thing I'd done at Madison Square Garden, but in, in, in Vienna. And it was the first time the, the the Maccabee Games, which are the Jewish Olympics, you know, worldwide Olympics, the first time they had been held in a former Third Reich country. So it was a very big deal, and there were lots of, you know, political and dignitaries and all sorts of people there, and they made a big deal out of it. It was on all their TV stations and everything. I got to perform the title track, Iron and Coal, um, and another song, Yet, in front of the audiences there. And I will say that that was a really moving and wonderful experience, um, particularly singing um, Iron and Coal, um, you know, because my father, who, you know, was so closely attached to this album, uh, had passed away at the, uh, at the end of May. So, um, so it, was, it was very meaningful for me to be able to sing that song. I wore one of his sport jackets um, when I performed. Uh, so, you know, so that, for me, that's... Um, so I, I, I look forward, I will say, I look forward to singing many of those songs. I particularly um, enjoyed singing that one. Um, and, you know, and then, and then you know, I, I, I'll tell you, I, one, of the, one of my favorite gigs um, in New York, just, you know, I, I mean, I'm a, Donnie Kerr and I go way back. He's a great friend of mine and Corey Gardner. And, um, you know, getting to do the Rockers on Broadway stuff, I always get to do fun stuff there. It's fun for me to be able to stand, you know, I'm, 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 I'm always behind the piano and singing and playing that way. It's always fun to stand and sing and deliver. So I've had a blast doing some stuff there. I think I did some um, Blood, Sweat, and Tears um, once. That was great. Um, this last time I did a, I did a little Long Cool Woman, uh, uh, which, was, which was a lot of fun. So, you know, I, I, there's... I, I enjoy. I, I, there's, it's, it's, a, it's a hard answer to that. There's a lot of things that I really enjoy seeing for a lot of reasons. Um, there's some that I probably, you know, that are, that are more difficult than others to, to, to pull off. Uh, there's a song I really always enjoy performing from my album Tuesday uh, uh, Drift called Tuesday and Thursday. Um, that's always sort of a fun one to play and sing. And so, you know, and then my closer, if the world don't bring you joy, I always basically just try to blow that shit right out through the roof uh, to, and leave <laughs> myself with no voice at the end. That's almost like, you know, a given. So, yeah. So there you go. Long answer for that one. Um, okay. Yes, but but a, a, a great one. Um, and you, uh, you, no, Jeremy, thank you. You are. Uh, 
if you okay, so we're gonna uh, one more question, and then we're gonna play hot or hot mess, and then I'll let you get back to your house full of your, your relatives. Yeah. Um, awesome. So if if you could do a duet with anybody, uh, dead or alive, uh, who would it be? Wow, a duet with anybody, dead or alive. Huh. Let me think two seconds. Um. Well, man, I mean, I, I would imagine a lot of people would have to say Freddie Mercury, but just because, you know, I would love to, I'd love the same harmony below, below him. Um, <laughs> um, I would, uh, you know, and any piano man with their salt has to say they want to do some, you know, they, they'd love to be able to do a little something with Billy Joel. Um, that would be kind of cool. Um, and, uh, uh, boy, uh, you see now you're gonna you're gonna get me thinking on this one. I have to, I, there's there's there's, you know I'll tell you who I really would love to work with. Who's one of my absolute favorites for years now, um, and I would love to work with her and, and sing a duet with her would be Alison Krauss. I love really? Alison Krauss and Union Station. Um, they just have such a wonderful sound. It's just pure and and she, her voice. You know you barely need to add a lick of of reverb or any kind of effect to it. She's such a, such a pure and um, and beautiful tone, which is why she's, you know, 40 years old and won a zillion Grammy Awards already. So, um, and then she may not be 40 years old. She's probably younger than that, and I hate her already. But uh, but she would be one. Katie Lang, okay. I also feel the same way. I saw Katie Lang at the Rose um, uh, a couple of years ago uh, with my wife, and um, I was, I mean, I've always been a big fan, but I didn't realize when I, until I saw her that she's actually as good as she is on her albums. She's even better live. She just, she holds the notes forever, speaking tone, and then she bends them at her will, standing there barefoot doing her thing, and um, and it's, um, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, so yeah, so those, I would say that's a, that's a pretty good combo right there, you know, in the Beatles. <laughs> Just throw me on some words. I need Beatle track, and I'm fine. But. Yeah, throw, throw them in there. Um, did you enjoy the Alison Krauss Robert Plant uh, collaboration? Um, I did. I did. I have it. I don't listen to it as much as I listen to the Alison Krauss and Union Station stuff. I happen to be, you know, um, I, I, I happen to. I'm a bluegrass fan, so I like that. I like that album a lot. But it sort of becomes more. It becomes a little bit more background for me than foreground sometimes. Um, but um, uh, you know, but I will actually sit and listen to um, Alison Krauss, put that on my headphones, and listen to that stuff, and sort of and sign out to that sometimes. So. Yeah, well, you know, you just saying that uh, Katie Lang sounded better live. That reminded me of uh, you know the uh, two two of my favorite bands, probably my two all time favorite bands, are Counting Crows and Live. And they've toured together oh, yeah. twice, and oddly enough, live is much better recorded, and Counting Crows is much better live. Yeah, you know what? I, I I totally know that. I actually, I I was I'm in a whole there's a whole scene of people that I know um, that sort of like the Counting Crows people, and and then there's the, the Spin Doctors and Blues Traveler. I know a whole right. bunch of the people that were involved in that whole early '90s scene, especially out of New York. And I, I same thing. I, I I saw Counting Crows once, and I felt the same. I thought they were a great live band, um, and uh, I didn't yeah. see live live. But I kind of had a funny feeling that um, that I don't know. Maybe he was just he wasn't. He was a little bit of a flat singer or something like that. Yeah. Not not so great. Well, it's interesting yeah. to hear that though. They're still they're still good, but they you know they they're better recorded. Um, but he yeah. but the the best show the best show best concert I've ever seen was. Uh, like it was like 
four four and a half hours long. It was Counting Crows, Augustana, and Michael Franny and Spearhead, and it was called the wow. it was at, um, Hammerstein Ballroom. It called the Traveling Circus and Medicine Show, and yep. it was all three bands on stage at the same time. And whenever each band was playing a set, uh, like there were always members from different bands with the other bands, and it was literally the coolest thing I've ever seen. You know, I, I saw Michael Franny do his thing before, and I I, I, I remember that tour. Yeah, no, I, I dig that, too. I've always kind of dug that sort of a thing, you know, where you have musicians. I used to host these things, and I actually have been threatening to host again, um, these songwriter circles where you right. get a bunch of really, uh, you know, you get a bunch of songwriters on the stage, like uh, five different people. Um, and you know you each tra- you know you go in a circle and you trade songs, and then you know if you're with the right kind of people, you kind of you know someone will say, hey man, can you throw a little piano on this? It's in G or something, or you know, do a little percussive thing, or someone will just jump in and do a little background vocal. There's a, a, a collaborative thing. Musical theater people, composer, lyricists, that's not always their bag, but if you get the singer, songwriter, storyteller people, um, uh, in particular, that can be a lot of can be a lot of fun. Um, I used to do that at the Zipper. And you know, way back, you know, from the ni- early nineties, I used to do more of that stuff. It's yeah, it's 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 a fun atmosphere, collaborative atmosphere. Um, and the guys that I hang out with, um, where I recorded actually, where I recorded my album Drift Upstate. Um, you know, that's a bunch of those people who are sort of like the, you know, those the late eighties hippies who were also, you know, like I said, the Joan Osborne's uh, Spin Doctors crowd and uh, Blues Traveler people. That's that whole crowd of people who just want to like hang out. You know, at a certain point in the evening, the, the instruments come out in front of the bonfire and spend like six hours jamming through tunes. And, and for me, something like that, I just I like to be the guy padding pretty chords in the background. I don't want to take a lead on that ever. I just want to be a guy who helps the people who know every folk song ever written do their thing and make it sound nice. <laughs> so Which helps. it's fun being a side man. Selfless you are. Love it. It's, you know, I'll uh, tell you something. I I, I think of, I I. I I also, when I'm in the studio, one of my favorite things to do, I just like doing background vocals. I like to be like the Michael McDonald in the studio. I, I, you know, I, I, I think that's the craft, you know, if you, if you, if you really cherish your craft and love it, I mean, you want to do a lot of different kinds of things. And for me, you know, getting a, doing a little background vocal, throwing down some extra piano, you know, doing whatever, uh, you know, it's all, it's, it's all part of the same beast for me. So, um, you know, I'll get mine. I get my chance to be up, up in front of things, and you know, sometimes I actually have to push myself harder to be front and center and remind myself that you know, actually, there may be people who would like to see me step forward and do something. Which is why, yeah. you know, not, not didn't, didn't mean that to be a segue to Iron and Cold, but but that's why I, you <laughs> know, when I recorded this album, it's it's me. You know, I don't have. It's not like a you know. Um, it, it's not one of those special guest kind of albums, you know. It's not a like, you know, I've done them before. I did it with 37 Notebooks, one of my previous albums. Scott Allen and, you know, 10 or 12 guests every time you do a show. It's me doing my thing with lots and lots of great musicians. So, um, well, yeah, awesome. I can't wait to hear the rest of it. Um, what oh, yeah. I heard so far uh, with all these technical difficulties tonight, what I heard so far sounded amazing, though. So, uh, nice show. Um, Thank you. Now, one last order of business. Uh, we're going to play a game we always play on the show. It's called Hot or Hot Mess, where I give you, Jeremy Schoenfeld, a list of things. You tell me if they are hot or a hot mess. Are you ready? All right. All right. And nothing else, just say hot or hot mess, right? You are more than welcome to explain it if you'd like, or you're yeah. welcome to just say <laughs> hot or hot mess. Either way. Okay. Um, Perfect. Perfect. 
<laughs> so let's open it up, and usually after that, there's a song playing, but that's not going to happen tonight, apparently. So just imagine that Kate Doyle is singing the chorus or Hotness in Manhattan Cabaret, and <laughs> then that's sure. just finished. Okay, I'm not going to attempt to sing it. Um, and uh, <laughs> let's, let's start with Justin Bieber, Hot or Hot Mess? Um, hot Mess. Really? Sorry, sorry, daughter, but uh, I just saw that video with uh, with Mariah Carey and you know and stuff that's going on. I'm 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 a little concerned that the kid's going. He's been hot, and that he's about to start going into the hot mess category. So let's just say, freshly into the hot mess zone. <laughs> I heard last night that the video was very creepy. I have yet to see it though. It's it is a little creepy. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I'll tell you something. There used to be a time when the guys were the great David Finchers and Mark Romanoffs, and these guys were great directors. Were actually making videos. I don't know who these dudes are who are making videos now, but there's nothing craft like about it. It's like, can we shoot Mariah Carey where she's basically turning her ass towards the camera, and you know, trying to look like she wants it or something? That's, and and then the, you know, a 12 year old boy looking at her. So it's <laughs> it's very creepy. I agree. I agree completely. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're trying to capitalize on the whole Sandusky, uh, Syracuse, and Penn State that. <laughs> they, they may very well be doing that. I would not be surprised. It would be a, it's, you know, they're they're of the moment. That's what I can say. <laughs> By the way, I went to Syracuse. They got nothing but love, just for the record. And I hope Beheim doesn't get fired, just for the record. Uh, okay. Yeah, I actually, I, I hope so too. I agree with you completely. I think he's a good dude and a great coach. So there you go. Absolutely. Um, how about Mel Gibson, hot or hot mess? Oh, hot mess! You know, I I I couldn't sit here as a Jewish guy and and say, you know, anything but that, right? I mean, come on, dude, really? You know, at least at least most people can hide their anti-Semitism a little better than that. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I hear that's a new thing, like uh, on a scale from one to Mel Gibson, how anti-Semitic are? Right? Yeah. Exactly. I like that. I'll have to remember that one. <laughs> um, how about um, uh, the uh, the Kim Kim Kardashian hot or hot mess? Oh, you know that's a trickier one. Funny enough, you would think hot mess, but I mean, I'll tell you something. She's been swimming in the same pool for so long that I don't I don't think that. That divorce thing is any better or worse than anything else she's ever done. So, you know, I mean, kind of, kind of, in a way, almost neither. I, it, she's got her own category. You could almost say hot, <laughs> hot mess, or Kardashian if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> hot, I don't wanna, I'm not gonna. I don't want to change. I don't want to change your game. But there is a sort of category that she fits in. It's all her own. <laughs> Hot, hot mess or Kardashian. I like that. Um, we'll last up on hot or hot mess. <laughs> Michelle Kinney, hot, hot mess or Kardashian? <laughs> well, you know, Kinney can have her own category as well. I got to tell you, God bless that woman. I love her to death. Um, I think hot. I go hot with Kenny. She's a she's a wonderful friend. I love her to death. And uh, and even though she she likes to say every single thing that's on her mind every time she puts a Facebook or a Twitter Twitter post or whatever it is, you know, there's there's just like it's like Tourette's of the you know social media for her. Um, <laughs> I love Michelle to death, and I I I will always say hot for Michelle Kenny. 
I, I would absolutely agree with that. Hot Tourette's Kenny. Hot Tourette's um, <laughs> Kardashian Kenny. Kenny, there you go. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, all right. So everyone tuning in, uh, check out JeremyStonefeld.com. The album is Iron and Coal. And is anything else you want to um, talk about, say, before we go? Um, no, you know, the only thing is, um, I, I believe that um, the, uh, the, uh, the New York Gay Men's Choir this year is doing the, uh, it's called the Holiday House of Love is their big holiday concert. And I may not, I, I'm hoping I will be there. I'm not sure if I can be there, but it's named after one of my songs that they sing really well. So um, I know it's a great cause, and, um, and they haven't even asked me to do anything uh, or to give any shout-outs, but, um, you know, I think that sounds like a pretty cool thing to support by going to their concerts at Town Hall. And uh, and look for me in 2012 because it's going to be a big ass year. <laughs> so, That's right. Um, um, and so, what is the song that it's uh, the, the the choir titled this this event after? It's House song? House of Love. House of Love. House of Love. It's kind of it's kind of like my uh, one of my more popular tunes. Shoshana does it in, uh, on an album, and I, I, I there's every time I Google someone else has put up a um, a version of it somewhere. In some college, <laughs> so, but uh, it's called the Holiday House of Love, and I think it's December 18th. They're going to be at Town Hall, and I assume that by the title, since they asked me if they could use the title, that they're actually going to sing the song. Um, <laughs> I think Lily, I think Lilius White is the guest, so I would, I, I don't know if she's singing it, but you know, whatever it is, um, you know, they're, they're, that's a good organization. I think they did, you know, they did a really wonderful rendition of it um, at the Defying uh, Inequality. Um, concert uh, a couple years back um, on the, at the Wicked stage, so um, yeah. you know. Well, I don't so, know. About, uh, you know, I had a, a, a band on my show one time who uh, their event was called "A Change Gonna Come," and I asked, hmm. "Are you guys doing Sam Cooke's Change Gonna Come?" And they did. They were not. Did they even know what the song was, or did they just think that was a cool title? <laughs> they probably just thought it was a cool title. There's just a couple, you know, little white guys, super, super talented. But yeah. they, uh, I, I don't know that they would really. Uh, I mean, yeah. I don't, I'm sure they would do a lovely job if they did a cover of it. No, it would be it would be embarrassing. It would be extremely embarrassing if for for me if I said all that and it wasn't uh, actually part of the program. But I mean, I know I know that the director of the program uh, had contacted me before um, and asked if they could do the song and and you know and, and name the program after that. So um, I haven't talked to him any time. Uh, since then, but you know, I'm still giving a shout out one and the same uh, because e- either way, it's a you know, it's a pretty cool uh, thing that they do. So there's lots of wonderful things. I'm I, you know, I give a shout out to all of my Broadway dreams people and you know, and, and, and everything else like that. So um, there's a you know, we go on forever. The lists go on and on. But um, um, I, I'm yeah. very uh, very happy to have been a part of, uh, of of this particular conversation. So. Well, the feeling is mutual, and yes, everyone stay tuned. Jeremy Schoenfeld, 2012, as he said, is going to be a big-ass year. Oh. Jeremy, I will see you soon. Uh, You will probably be behind the piano at Broadway Sessions, and we we will never actually speak to each other (laughs) in person, (laughs) and and it'll it'll be sublime. That's wonderful. Well, it was great talking with you. Thanks a lot for having me. You too, and I'll make sure I say hi next time. Thank you so much. This is a blast. All right. Terrific. Yeah, let me make sure Talk you do. All right. Take care. Talk to you soon. Take care. Okay. Jeremy Schoenfeld. Um, okay, everyone. So 
Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter, Blazing Rye Radio. Follow Jeremy Schoenfeld at Jeremy Schoenfeld. Follow me at Blazing Rye. And um, be sure to like us on Facebook. Download Stitcher. Put in code Blazing Rye. You'll get a chance to win $100. Uh, and the app is totally free. This is on your mobile phone. Um, so I can think of no better way of ending this broadcast than by saying if it ain't showbiz, 